Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up <laughs> bugs. Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your host for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Congrats to us for 10K downloads. <laughs> Whenever Allie cuts her mic off early, it makes the strangest noises. That sounded like a like a Ferris wheel falling off like the rails or something. <laughs> it was so strange. This makes me so happy, just like 10K does. Super exciting. We've talked about this at like milestone download numbers before, but like... It's just really wild to me that we have gotten this many downloads at all, given that we're just some three dumbasses in central Ohio who like a stupid monster of the week show. (laughs) Yeah, I am both shocked and like so appreciative of everyone who has supported us. It's amazing. I didn't think we'd hit 10K this fast. Like 10K is an insane number. That's huge. Yeah, that's quite a lot. It's like really shocking to think about. Why don't we talk about some of our favorite moments on the journey to 10K? What did you appreciate, Jordan? What sticks out? So I'm going to talk about one moment kind of split two ways, serve two ways. And it's always my favorite moments are when I say something and the room gets really, really quiet, which I know has happened quite a few times, just because I know what I'm saying is either (laughs) extremely on point or extremely off base. And I never know which. If it helps, we don't know which either. (laughs) (laughs) I love when you guys do but I also really love when Twitter does it whenever like someone will message me something and I'm like oh I can't wait to find out more about this and they're like yeah dot 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 (laughs) it's always my favorite people DM me all the time being like oh my god I was freaking out when Jordan said this I can't believe they said that and I don't know how you or Allie like managed to like keep a straight face or like not react and I'm like Oh, we're reacting. (laughs) Yeah, we're always like, look at each other. And as soon as Jordan walks out of the room, we're like, oh my God, can you believe that just happened? (laughs) Every time. What if I'm like pulling a fast one on you all and I've actually have watched the show for years. I have a massive AO3 account dedicated to Destiel and... <laughs> I would love that. I would love to find that out. Like in, in a few years, once this all is done, you'll just be like, you've been punked. <laughs> Wool off the eyes. It's the truth. I would, I would be I'm so a prolific Destiel fanfic writer. I also would hope and pray we talk shit about your fanfic, if that were true. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. I don't know any other pairings. I don't know what this means, but I've heard Sam Wiener, or maybe it was Sam Wiener. I don't know. Oh my god, Sam Wiener, yeah, that's (laughs) Sam Rowena. Sam Wiener makes 
laugh though. <laughs> I love that. There's a nuance of like pegging going yeah. on there. Yeah. Sam Wiener, favorite pairing. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Hallie? <laughs> yeah, I think my favorite's been really similar. The amount of times people have tweeted me and just been like, oh my gosh, I totally feel the same way or going with my weird ass theories. I have wonderful friends and family who support me, but oftentimes I say things and people just look at me. <laughs> so it has been so yeah. fun to hear what you all think and like having people agree with the same things like that has been so exciting. And every time, oh my gosh, I constantly check our reviews on Apple podcasts and, and our <laughs> Twitter because it's just so exciting, like hearing from you all and knowing that this goes out into the ether and like not add a wall. I still want to know with those two one-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, like, what was the reason? Like, come on, at least say why you hate us. Yes, the only one-star reviews we have are blank. It drives me up the wall. Like, so, are we too gay? <laughs> I, I'm gonna assume that. Go give us more reviews, but please not one-star. <laughs> I will cry. What have you like, Jasper? I really like sitting in a room and having people care what I think about a stupid monster of the week show, first of all. ADHD hyperfixations are really not, I can't put those anywhere very easily. Like I can only talk to my roommate about this show so much before he starts like leaving his body, <laughs> like actively. It's like very wild that a few hundred people on the internet seem to want to listen to that as well. <laughs> but I think like mostly it's just been crazy to me. Like I was someone who is millennial and kind of like in the middle or older age range of that growing up very paranoid about the internet and not ever having social media until I was like literally 19 years old because I just didn't like it or like care when other people tried to show it to me. Like no lie, my high school best friend made my Facebook a year and a half before I started using it. I promise this is going somewhere. My point is Everyone seemed to have like little online friends and clicks and whatever. And I just did not get it. I was like, what? Like, how could you like, you've never met these people. And now I spend a good amount of my time every day flirting with people who live across the ocean. So, well, person, just, just the one. But anyway, you know. Like, I can't believe how many online friends I have. Like, I want to go and tell 12-year-old me, you're going to meet people on the internet and you're going to like them. You're going to talk about vampires. 12-year-old me would be jazzed. So anyway, yeah, thanks for everybody who's streamed our episodes or downloaded any of them on whatever platforms you listen on. We really appreciate it. It feels like such a huge accomplishment for just, you know... A little, little tiny group of gays in Ohio just talking about Supernatural on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate it, truly. Thank you all. We really appreciate all the support. Today's episode is Season 2, Episode 19, Balsam Prison Blues. The one where Dean flashes the blue steel. Our favorite stupid, iconic moment. Maybe not our favorite. This episode was written by John Shaben and directed by Mike Roll and originally aired on April 26, 2007.
we get kind of a classic kind of supernatural cold open the haunting and the randos yeah. but something i like a lot about this particular cold open is it starts really early with its social message that yeah. it's pushing throughout the episode one of the first lines of dialogue in this episode is there's your tax dollars at work in reference to upkeep of defunct parts of the prison. So we're just going right out the gate with the, so you agree, the American uh, system of incarceration is unjustifiably expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so you agree. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of get the feeling that this prison is kind of bubbling and it kind of makes you feel for the prisoner, Randall, and how he's not being heard, like, immediately without, like, specifically telling you that this is kind of an anti-prison episode. Yeah. They just are really good at building that up through dialogue and the actors yeah. as well. Yeah, and that character actor who plays Randall, do you recognize him, Jordan? Ah, uh, he looks really familiar. I'm not you sure. You should know him. You should. You're, you're gonna say it, I'm gonna be like, oh, yeah. So... His name is Jeff Kober, and not only has he been on General Hospital, NCIS, a bunch of other random episodes of stuff, he's also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as not one, but two different antagonists. He's in the episode where a council makes Buffy do the test in the house. He's like the psycho vampire. Oh, he is, yeah. And then in season six, he is the um, warlock who does like the crazy dark magic with Willow. Oh the, gosh, yeah, he was stoned magic. He was so buff and buffy though, <laughs> and the, as the dark magic dude, it was hard to recognize him. Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to tell what anyone's physique is like in a, a jumpsuit like that. So, and he's like specifically in Supernatural, I think, kind of made to look like weaker as well yeah I think like older even Mm -hmm. I really like how in this episode because Supernatural often does the thing where it's like here are people victimized by our society let's recognize systematic oppression but then it just kills the people who are already victimized So I liked how in this episode, it did the red herring where you think the guy who's systematically oppressed is going to be the one who kind of gets it from the ghost, but he ends up being, it's a red herring and it's the narrative through his eyes at the start where the guard gets taken instead. Yeah. And that's something that's consistent throughout this episode that I think is really refreshing. The ghost is, regardless of whether people are incarcerated or not, killing people who she thinks are criminals or bad people. And that includes guards as well. Did you realize, Jordan, that this anthropology department robbery was just totally fake? Yes, immediately. Yeah. I can't even tell they're just you. looking at stuff. <laughs> they're just looking at stuff. I will say, though, I do like that they decided to get arrested in what seemed to be like a museum because it does seem like it also would be a good red herring because it would make sense that the boys are kind of fumbling around a museum trying to find some curse who's it or what's it, you know? So I yeah. did like that that's where they got arrested. Yeah. I also like that they specifically chose a place where like civilians and people were there to get hurt just in case. Like at night at a museum, no one's going to be there. Poor little Sam is like having the no good, very bad day. (laughs) I forget the whole title of that stupid book, but you know what I mean. Just like 
right out the gate. I hate this plan. And like, I love when they're doing the fucking mug shots and like Dean with his stupid blue steel, but Sam just looks like so put out and miserable. He's like, why the fuck am I doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So feels like the plan you get dragged along of a sibling. So I love that. Well, this yeah. is the start, too, of what's been kind of consistent with the last few episodes and is a trend I'm really starting to like to see, which is, like, we are getting more interactions between the brothers. Like, their relationship is growing from what it was in season one, and the way they interact with each other is as well. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of extra nuance to their interactions. It's not just about the case or their dad. Like, there's so much in this episode that says a lot about their personalities. And in that sense, I think this episode makes a really good direct follow-up to The Night Shifter. Yes, I agree. I can't remember what all was said, but like, I love the, I loved the, like the stupid dialogue in the background while they're getting the mug shots. Like you can just hear like the person who's just doing their stupid desk job is like, what the fuck are these idiots? Like they're just yeah. trying to like work their fucking stupid nine to five. And this dumbass is like, Hey, I called this one blue steel. He's like, you're getting arrested. Like shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he'll look better than always- me or Nick Nolte. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm always really feeling for, like, the, I guess it's not a customer service, but just, like, workers who have to deal with people directly in this show, just, much like in real life, are just getting treatment. Yeah. No, I do really like that. Yeah, this show does kind of consistently have like a realistic view of what it's like to be in an actual workplace, which a lot of shows really lose touch of. So that is exciting to see, especially from CW, which is just like the most out of touch network. So (laughs) (laughs) you're so right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I wonder if part of that doesn't have to do with the fact that, like, they're always in small towns, like, you know, it's more average Joe everyday type people that they deal with. So it makes sense. I agree. This episode does a really good job of like humanizing everyone, whether it's the people who they interact with, like the people whose job it is just to take their pictures for the mugshots, or all the people in who are incarcerated, like it does a really good job of humanizing all these different people, especially for CW. So props for that. Allie, did you remember that Henriksen was coming in this episode? Yes, I did. Um, Wow. I know, the first thing I've remembered all season. I was very excited to see Henriksen. It's really funny because I thought this would have been the episode that he comes back around that time. I mean, everything else was way off that I guess, but um, <laughs> I think that's just because I was- I'm sure you were so excited as soon as they got arrested. You were like, oh fuck, he's gonna be here. Yeah, and I do like that Henriksen was there. Like he is obsessed yeah. with these guys. Oh my God, he's such a Dean simp. You like him so much. Why don't you just suck his dick already? Like Jesus, like the whole scene in the- <laughs> interrogation room he's like talking about like how professional he is and how good he is at like getting away and all this stuff I'm like all right calm down (laughs) well for one I was incredibly happy to see Henderson I know Hendrickson like literally he feels like a mean girl and the way that he interacts with people I'm like okay this is the Regina George of the cast but 
there's something about him I really like. I don't know if it's that he's just like a weird, obsessed psycho person or if it's his like pale brown eyes, but something about him. I like Hendrickson. I like him a lot too. He does kind of have like mean girl vibes, but letting you know now, Castiel is the Regina George. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess then Hendrickson can be the Regina of this episode and then he'll get dethroned. Last week when you were talking about like next time there's going to be special agent Henriksen because we haven't seen him in a while and we're getting close to the end. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> you're right. And then you were like, Gordon's going to be there and there's going to be vampire cultists and whatever the hell else you said. <laughs> I was like, ah. Uh. Yeah, maybe I'm giving up on Gordon. Maybe we've seen the last of him. <laughs> We still haven't seen Ava either. I'm like, God damn, where are all these people hiding at? Where is she? She's <laughs> out in the ether. This season, I feel like there's so many things going on that it really does feel like they've forgotten people at times because it's it's so like all over the yeah. place. And it's almost like you spin a wheel and then you get that type of episode. Like, where are the fucking special children? Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. Who knows? I will say with Hendrickson, I was a little disappointed that he wasn't obsessed with trying to predict Dean's next move. Because, like, he should have known that Dean got put in jail on purpose. And I know why the episode didn't go that way. It's because they had something to say. But still, I would have liked more of a paranoid Hendrickson. Oh, iconic Dean moment that we haven't mentioned was also during that scene. He's, you know, joking around. And Hendrickson is like, oh, you think you're funny. I think I'm adorable. And every time I see this scene, I'm like, yes, you are, sweetie. You are adorable. Look at you. He's just a little cutie pie. That's just a tiny little guy. Get in my pocket right now. <laughs> I wonder if he gets jealous because I feel like Sam gets described as adorable and like a puppy dog and things like that consistently throughout the series. Like even in this episode, whenever people are trying to insult Sam, there was like, come on, cutie. Come on, get your little tiny shaken ass over here, little <laughs> dude. And I'm like, why does everyone talk to Sam like this? I wonder if Dean gets jealous when he hears that stuff. Like, no one, why does no Maybe. one call me cutie? Jordan, I think you're just watching the porno version. I think that's <laughs> your issue. Yeah, I'm watching super porno roll. That was horrible. <laughs> you tried. Um, yeah, no, like, we always joke, Allie, about you having short person energy, but, like, Dean has short person energy. Like, I know that Jensen Ackles is, like, 6'1 or whatever, but Dean in spirit is 5'4". Yeah, when my fiancé and I are watching, I will always Google how tall he is because every time we think he's like 5'4", five, 5'6", five, and every time we're like, what the fuck? Both of them have like big heels on the boots that they wear as part of the costumes, but then like Jared is just stupid tall. So like, it doesn't matter. You put them next to each other, he's gonna look like a munchkin. <laughs> yeah, true. And he is, he's a cute little munchkin. You are adorable. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so is this when the public defender comes in? I did not catch her name. Oh, um, was it was Mara? Her name Molly? Mara? I think it was Mara. I don't know. They said it once. Yeah. Least realistic public defender, but I did like her suit. Very good suit. <laughs> the fact that she was like so invested in their case and like... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man, like the public defender's office, like notoriously underfunded everywhere you go in this country. 
Like they don't have the time or the energy to help you out, especially not with the FBI on their back. Like, (laughs) no way. I kept specifically thinking, like, did I miss how we know her? Is she supposed to be, like, a friend of a friend? Because she's way too fucking good for a public defender. Especially for these two guys the FBI is coming after. Like, I thought this would be, like, oh, my dad has this long-term acquaintance who has a friend who's really fucking good. That makes more sense to me. Yeah, I agree. So the character's name is Mara. Y'all were right. I was wrong. I don't know why I want everyone to be a Molly. It's so weird because she looks really familiar, doesn't she? She does. She has that face. You know who she looks like? The one girl from Firefly. Is her name is her last name pronounced State? Jewel State, who plays Kaylee. Yeah, they both got that real heart-shaped face. Yeah. Yeah, with like the broad round cheeks. Yeah. All right. At the end of the scene, they establish that they have a week approximately before they're going to get extradited out of state for all of Dean's other alleged crimes. But until then, they're in the county jail. Can I talk about haunted jails for a minute? I would love for you to talk about haunted jails. This is one of my favorite things. I actually specifically love going to jails, old jails. And this is something I've done like with family since like fourth grade, weirdly. I didn't do any research because all of this is from experiences. So this is just my knowledge, which is minimal. So you might want to research if you're interested. (laughs) But jails are supposedly haunted because a lot of energy, obviously, is spent there. Like people live their lives here. And there's a big debate over whether trying to break out of jail should be illegal because there's the idea that like humankind is meant to naturally not want to be incarcerated. Um, So some countries, if you try to break out, you don't get time added because they kind of see that as like a natural thing. Like that's what any human would want to do. Um, So humans are trapped in these places in the United States. The system's horrible. Um, Please watch 13th if you haven't for the systematic racism and school to prison pipeline. Because of all this, jails hold so much energy. And so you can often tour old jails that are closed down. They become like historic sites. Um, Some of my favorite in the world, Kilmanham Jail in Ireland, you do have to book way ahead because that's where like revolutionaries have been executed people have tried and succeeded escapes um there was even a guy married there right before his execution so the chapel's supposed to be haunted with that there's mansfield reformatory right near us which i did an overnight lock-in and in there i had things that responded to us like we were in the admin basement and something was responding in knocks and we said okay like one knock for yes two for no and we said do you want us to leave and it like slammed a knock so we went running and then the um like guards they were they were like oh another group heard whistling so we went into one of the wings and that's an open air one so you can see everything all the cells on like the four stories are right there and we're the only ones in this wing and we hear someone in the cell next to us go Mm. and like ran looking for people never found anyone And these are places, like, if you want an experience or if you want are interested in the history, please go to them. And often money goes to 
restoring these buildings. Um, but also like the system in the United States, I think only worsens the amount of energy that are left in these prisons because they face horrific conditions. If you look at prisons in other countries, they have things like their own room and like human rights basically is something that's denied in the United States a lot of time. So it worsens because we're putting these people through horrible conditions for years and years, sometimes their entire life, and then expect them to not be damaged by this and be able to go and succeed after. So one thing that really changed my perspective as like a freshman in college, senior in high school, was someone asked me, why, once someone is in prison, why do we have to keep punishing them? Because I never looked at it like that. Like the, the punishment is being incarcerated. There doesn't have to be the punishment of treating them lesser than human because the punishment itself is being removed from everyone you love, being sent to this facility. Like you can still have a, give them a humane experience there. And that's still like, quote unquote, fair and punishment because it's still kind of what we deem as deserved for the crime, um, which there's issues in that alone. But why do we have to go further and make, make living hell for these people? So there's a lot of prison reform. Please go to old prisons, learn about the way we um, basically use it as a form of slavery for uh, corporations to produce things there. Like, please look into this, especially if you're in the United States. This is a huge issue. And this, this episode kind of just like brushes the top of that. It doesn't get deep, nor does it have to, but this is something everyone should know about. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Yeah, and you're you're right that this episode really doesn't even get into the worst aspects of it, but it's still the issues it raises are still alarming. So this is when the official reveal that they've gotten into the jail on purpose happens because Sam is like, I hate this plan. Why did we have to do this? Blah blah blah. And they start talking about the case. And they also talk about Deacon, who is the guard, who's the old friend of John Winchester's. And they have the bit about being loyal and paying their debts and all that stuff. And I think it's interesting. I know I brought up Night Shifter earlier because it has similar thematic stuff. It also has Henriksen. And the idea of their inherited legacy from John comes up multiple times in this episode, too. The whole basis of their relationship with this deacon person is based on John. Yeah. What else is this actor in? Which actor? The one who plays deacon? Yes. He's in a few episodes of Stargate SG-1, I think. Okay, I knew I knew him from somewhere, and I knew you'd know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. We get some good lines here, too, from Dean, which we know he was anti-cop already, but, like, I really like some of his lines, like, just because people are in prison or in jail doesn't mean they deserve to die. Right. Yeah. In response to Sam's um, sarcastic, yeah, innocence. Because, like, we don't know what everybody is in prison for is the thing, like, first off. And second off, it doesn't matter what you did, like you're still deserving of human dignity. 
you know, it frustrates me that this is a consistent thing with Sam's character sort of looking down on like, you know, criminal types, quote unquote. Especially like knowing that he went to Stanford, was it? I don't know. Yeah. There's something about him that just has like kind of this privilege stance that always kind of like irks me in this sure. situation. Well, but- I wonder sometimes if it isn't like pushback from the way he was brought up and maybe yeah. the kind of people that John had them around as children, but still. Sam reminds me of this TikTok I saw that was like me sitting there at 7:30 a.m. in a civics class when the when the douchebag is um using devil's advocate to debate whether I should have rights or not. Even if you think less of people who are in prison, you know, you don't get to decide if they're innocent or not. Like that ostensibly is determined uh, by the legal system. I I think this episode challenges that, and I would challenge that because our legal system is unjust. But, you know, like most people are just in jail for like, you know, petty theft and petty drug charges. Like it's not, it's not usually like serial murderers and stuff like that. So like, why, why Sam, do you think it doesn't matter? Like their lives don't matter. This is a County jail, like not a federal prison. Yeah, exactly. And what's kind of sad too, when he said like, what are you from Texas? It kind of like, it really brought me back. Cause like I took a current events class, like my senior year of high school which would have been around the time, but that was a huge, huge button of like topic in the media at the time was like corporal punishment and the prison system. And what's sad is that even though this episode was made around a time when this was a big whirlwind topic, like, no, there's really been no change, like no big movement in this system. Yeah. It's still, this episode holds up today just as yeah, well as absolutely. it did then. The one thing I would have liked in this episode is if they had recognized their privilege because they do get treated a different way because of like the background they're coming from. Um, But I will kind of give a pass on that because I thought it was good contrast between the two boys of like one person who does recognize that these are humans and one does not. So I thought with that dialogue, I was like, at least this is taking on an issue and doing it pretty well. I'm kind of glad that this show did not take on like blackness in a prison system because this show would not be able to do that. No, absolutely not. That is such a good point. And I didn't necessarily mean blackness, but just like coming from what appears to be like a standard group and then being put in a prison system. Like I know they grew up poor, but they're not seen as like really struggling with money because of the scams so like they come across and are treated differently because of kind of how they're perceived socioeconomically and race as well I was interested in the fact that most of the prisoners uh, were white what do we know the location of this area I'm just curious yeah so uh, it would be in the area of Little Rock Arkansas Yeah, that was interesting to me. And I looked up and there isn't this correctional facility there. Um, The only one that had a very similar name was in Kentucky and it's closed. But that was interesting to me, knowing the history of Little Rock, Arkansas, why they threw this episode there when nothing else seems to tie it there. Hmm. Um, Did you want to talk about that briefly, Allie? Yeah, I don't know 
like I don't have any answers because like obviously the history with Little Rock, Rock Arkansas is about integration in the school system and specifically um, ending segregation and having black students and people of color join or be able to go to the same school as white students. And so yeah, that's yeah. what Little Rock is known for. Like once you hear that, those words, that's immediately what comes to most people's minds. So I was assuming knowing that, that there would be something in this episode related to it. Um, and I'm curious what the population is now, but it really is just this really white prison, which, you know, I'm okay with because I wouldn't want it to be like all black inmates. I feel like that would be problematic in a different that way. Yeah, I, I was, yeah. I was just so like, it just was very interesting why that's the setting. And then there's nothing relevant to it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love um, moving on this cafeteria scene, this first cafeteria scene, have some cute bantering between Sam and Dean. It's the first time they have the, I'm going to need better than pretty sure. And he's like, okay, really pretty sure um, <laughs> about who the ghost is. And that's when they have the cafeteria fight, the first one. And I'm not entirely certain how calculated the fight is. I don't think Sam bumped into the guy on purpose. Yeah. But I do think that Dean intended to be put in solitary, but he never really says so. So it's like a weird, a weird thing. But I'm so, I'm just so charmed by him this whole episode, honestly, but he has that line where he's like, that's how you got to talk to these guys. Cause he's like, really, he's getting into his role. Like he does. He's like, I'm playing the part of <laughs> the, the prisoner arrested for robbing the museum or whatever. It's just so goofy. Well, I like how his love of TV kind of comes through because this is like a typical jail trope, which to like go challenge yeah. the biggest guy and establish yourself immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was also good. Also, I talked about it a hundred times that I love when the boys are seen as professionals in this episode. Really yeah. does a good job of setting that up. Oh, as well. yeah, absolutely. Even to the point of just the way he mostly overpowers this guy really quickly. I do love the taxi driver thing too. He just yeah. sort of like stares at him. He's like, I cannot believe this is happening. <laughs> Someone's seen taxi driver too many times. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. He just like steals my heart in this one. And it's, it's interesting because obviously it's, you, it's a Dean episode. It's yeah. like we talked about in tall tales, like really when it's a, when it's a Dean episode, Sam is very uptight and ornery and very like about everything. And Dean is goofing off, but being sensitive at the same time. And I just, I don't know. I never feel this positively about when they flip that on its head. I guess I'm just a Dean girl, gender neutral. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dean apologist. <laughs> I'm not though. There are plenty of time like that little fucker. Why the hell? Like in season eight, what's his problem, bro? Like chill. That's funny. I can't wait. But yeah, I do like that kind of fight sequence. I thought it was choreographed really well too. And also I have to kind of wonder if it was intentional to be thrown in solitary. I kind of think that it was. Because um, wasn't it Deacon that put him in solitary here? Yes. When did you realize that that was Deacon? Because they don't say and he's not wearing a name tag. 
I honestly did not realize, but like, to be honest, I like don't know why, but I was more invested in whatever goofy thing Dean was doing than like who Deacon actually was in the prison. I didn't care like a whole lot, to be honest. I was too wrapped up in like that. So I, I didn't even really think about it until the end. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. It's always Deacon that seems to intervene when either of them are getting into it. I did, starting with, like, this scene, because they kind of, like, show Deacon to be fatherly, but I'm like, he's really comfortable at this. No one's questioning how aggressive he is. They're not like, huh, that's weird for Deacon to, like, be smacking around these inmates and, like, threatening them. And I was like, hmm. (laughs) That's something that comes up, though. That's something that is, like, a plot point and they um, make use of. It's not for a little bit, so let's, like, touch back in on it, but the solitary scene is really weird to me. Yeah. Um, I don't understand how they're able to, like, talk to each other. Like, I get that there's, like, the thing in the door, but the point of solitary is that, like, they're totally isolated, so how do they have any, like, visual or sound of each other? Realism isn't always what we're going for with this show, so I don't know. Is it like in the grand scheme of things, is it that big a deal? I don't know. I don't know, but it's something I think about. I actually find it very realistic because I've been in a lot of solitary confinements when I toured like insane asylums or prisons and jails. She really misbehaves when she's arrested. I <laughs> <laughs> bore all of this, but. <laughs> But when you're in there, so jails, you can hear everything. There is like no thick walls. And even in solitary, like the only cells that are like padded are for aggression. And so you can hear everything going on around you. But part of it is like you're isolated and the only people, if there's anyone else in there at the same time, like you're physically removed from them, obviously, but you can still hear a lot of what's going on with them. Gotcha. Gotcha. You could probably tell that I've never been arrested and I've never been put in solitary. Thank you for that. This conversation between Dean and Lucas in solitary, um, I don't know if they were trying to like show like that the ghost is trying to make sure that Lucas is like a bad guy before it attacks him because I don't think that's like always completely that that same train of thought continues through the whole episode but it was a cool scene. I like when the eyes came through the little doggy door. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I really like, too, that this is, like, the old block and the new block. Like, it makes perfect sense. And they also change, like, how different parts of u- prisons are used in different times. So sometimes ward- wards, which were for, like, nurses or... Um, even, like, cafeterias, sometimes it completely changes up. So I love that, like, you don't really know who the ghost is going to be because you don't know what solitary was originally for. You just know it's the old part. Right. They do have an idea of who the ghost is going in, though, yeah. as discussed. They think that it is a murderer, a serial murderer who was held here and died here. I don't remember the name they gave. I didn't catch it, but I didn't think it was a real one. No, it wasn't, I don't mm-hmm. think. Because I, like, it didn't ring any bells for me. Not that I'm the true crime expert. That would be you, Ali. <laughs> I call myself a weird crime expert. Oh. <laughs> I prefer the weird ones. Don't give me the murders as much. It's just sometimes. Mm. What did you think of the way they spliced the episode with these scenes of dialogue between the public defender mm-hmm. and uh, Victor Henriksen? 
And this is the first one. It happens right after Lucas. I like this scene. I kind of like that it shows the failing of our legal system too here because Hendrickson has like no desire to communicate with this public defender, which I think is a big thing. So it kind of shows that like, even if you do care in this system and you're trying to like make things better, like if the person you're working with doesn't, like your hands are tied. Like she hadn't- Hendrickson's only motivation is catch Dean Winchester and everything else he literally doesn't give a shit about. And anyone who disagrees with him is like quote unquote crazy like because she's bringing up these same people that have vetted and she's like there's a pattern here and he's like those people are just crazy i kind of love this though because i'm jumping back to true crime but in true crime detectives there are different ways of thinking and so one of them is when a thing happens you go with the person who's most likely and then you do everything you can until you narrow them out and you go to the next person there's the other thing where you go with every clue and gather as much as you can and then you try associating with people so i think he's kind of in the former which is a more old school Mm -hmm. approach of being like yeah there are weird things but dean's at the center of it like explain that and i think that's how a lot of people get like wrongly incarcerated and wrongly accused of things because like yeah it's weird and yeah there's so much that lines up for him but you've got to go through all of it to make sure like that's on the detective like it's literally Mm -hmm. on them to prove he is guilty not just well, I'll ignore these things that don't line up because most do. Right. Yeah. My one thing with this is that she's not prosecution. So I want to know why she's talking to the FBI in the first place. Like, if you just look past the fact that she's a public defender and wouldn't be spending this much time delving into their case in the first place, why the fuck is she talking to, like, the FBI who are trying to prosecute Dean? Like, why? Like, that seems really strange to me yeah they're like mixing a public defender and a da into one character which is very strange right Um, see that would make sense to me if it was like somehow they were communicating with the da but the da wouldn't be talking to the winchesters at all unless they were like trying to get them to take some kind of deal or something yeah but i just thought it was a very strange route to take one thing I really like, this is where my Regina George thought line comes through, because it makes me laugh. They did it twice in this episode, where Hendrickson says something sassy, and then he looks to his lieutenant, it zooms in to his lieutenant's face, like, going, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, the other time they did it was on the interrogation scene. <laughs> I like his, yeah, his little, he has his little yes man stoogie just in the background. And that's, Everyone needs one. It's an important facet of being a mean girl. Absolutely. I do like this next scene where Sam is cleaning up the bathroom with, what's his name? It starts with an R. Randall. With Randall. Uh, I just feel for poor Randall just trying to live his life. Uh, No one believes him about the little ghost. He tried to save that guard's life. I'm glad he was unsuccessful. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan said, if you are a prison guard, you are a cop. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that though. This is what I was talking about earlier when we were saying about the casual way violence against prisoners is treated. He's telling Sam here about the serial murderer who is supposedly the ghost that's haunting this old cell block. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. He had a heart attack after the guards beat him to death. (laughs) 
And I'm floored by Sam's reaction here, where he's just like, no one reported that? Like, come on. Of course no one reported that. But it also builds on this idea that that level of violence is extremely normal for them. So it makes it makes Deacon's behavior towards uh, Dean and Sam very normal as well. Like no one bats an eye. And I think there's even something here to be said about the idea that even this like serial killer deserved, you know, some kind of protection from this kind of behavior. Not that I'm like a big fan of serial killers or whatever, but I really don't think there's any way to justify beating someone to death who is already been robbed of their power and freedom in that way. Yeah, because I like that so. point. Why even have a jail? Like when someone fucks up, we yeah. should just beat them in the streets. Like Right, right. If the point of our system is that going to prison is the punishment, you relinquish your freedom and your rights to be a citizen of the country you know that doesn't give prison guards the right to then be an additional layer of judge and jury leading up to execution or like a similar problem that we have with police all i'm saying is deacon he was a little suspicious (laughs) yeah he probably around there beating the shit out of people all the time like he acting like a nice guy or whatever when they finally link up with him at like near the end of the episode but like man that dude is a mini cop i'm telling you yep i did like the line why are you here then um i have an idiot for a brother because we get that kind of playfulness but Also, it kind of shows a little bit more into Sam's thought process. Like, he can't even create a story to pretend, like, you know, he deserves to be in jail. Like, he's here because of someone else. Yeah, and I think given the fact that the ghost targets Dean as a criminal, and Dean and Sam have committed the same kind of crimes, it's interesting that Sam doesn't see himself that way, even though he's done all of the same things that Dean has. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like, what has Dean done except for like try and go out of his way to help people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here we get Tiny. I feel so bad for this guy. You skipped the yard. Oh, I didn't even write about the yard. You didn't write about the yard where he's playing for cigarettes? No. He's so proud of himself. I love Sam's incredulous. You don't even smoke. My big thing is I like that Dean loves the con as much as he loves food. Like, he just gets so much mm-hmm. joy in both things. And I hope that's something that keeps up throughout the series. I love it, too, because it reminds me of the previous episode with Hollywood Babylon, right? Mm-hmm. So we have Dean making a bunch of friends and learning the culture and, like, you know, really getting into, like, his role, his part. And Sam is like, you're a fucking idiot and you're annoying the piss out of me the whole time. <laughs> But it it works out in their favor because he's able to access certain things. The same thing happens in this episode. This whole scene is him gathering information from people in the yard and getting together a means of bargaining with people if they need more information or favors. Yeah. It's so weird to me that Sam hasn't like caught on to this yet. I mean, I know it's only season two, but like this is how Dane behaves all the time. Maybe there's just the element of my brother is so fucking annoying. <laughs> but <laughs> well, 
I kind of see it too um, as a consistency with Sam. So Dean really acclimates himself into like little biomes and little societies. Like he's really good. He learns the rules. He really fits in. Um, Sam likes to stay in the background and then like make like a connection on like a small level. So we're like, Dean does the macro, Sam does the micro is something like I kind of see. This is when Sam has his plan and we get the second cafeteria fight. I love this little echo when they're in line uh, for their food of the previous conversation they've had in the cafeteria where he was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need better than pretty sure that this is gonna work. And Sam's like, okay, really pretty sure. <laughs> really pretty sure. <laughs> Just throwing it, throwing it back in Dean's face, the thing from earlier. Again, very sibling behavior. We yeah. love to see it. We love to see it. It is a really fun scene, despite Dean being an absolute dick. I think even before he says so later. It's kind of clear that he's just saying stuff like he just run in his mouth because he's picking a fight, but it's it's still a little uncomfortable. But despite that, there's just something about like the whole fight and like getting all of the guards involved and Sam like being all sneaky in the cafeteria and running into the little air duct or whatever. Yeah, it's just so fun. I actually did not mind this scene because, yeah, he was being a dick and it was totally inappropriate. Then the show is like, hey, this behavior is not okay. Oh, yeah, totally. That's what I mean. I think yeah. like you can kind of tell, like, it's uncomfortable, but you can kind of tell that he's just doing it on purpose to get a rise out of them. And I really like, too, that, yeah, he's doing it on purpose because obviously his mission is to do what he needs to do to move forward, get himself closer to solving this. But um, not only is it like the show was like, hey, making fun of people isn't good. It also is then like shows that like even someone like Tiny, who is seen as like tough and is physically tough and physically resilient, goes to show that even Tiny has feelings, too, which I really liked. I thought this was like a cute scene. Yeah, it really humanizes him when they're locked up in the infirmary together. Yeah. And that's something this episode has just been really good about is kind of humanizing this situation. My favorite part in all of this is Dean's honesty, because after they get taken away, Dean like kind of turns to him and is like, hey, I'm sorry, man. Like, I can't explain why I had to get like taken away but I just had to cause something and I I think that's really big of Dean because especially we see Sam look at these people as separate and unlike them through this whole episode and this is such a good moment of Dean being like hey here's the truth I can't tell you everything but like I'm sorry for what it's worth and I really appreciated that small moment yeah and it wasn't even sorry for like fighting it was specifically apologizing for the things that he said and saying that he didn't mean them and that it was shitty to say them yes agree which like dean doesn't apologize for stuff almost ever in this show so it's such a nice wholesome moment i hate that tiny dies right after this though same oh. that's my biggest complaint like why did tiny have to die right So this is when I got kind of confused because in Lucas's scene, I was like, Lucas had the chance to talk things out with Dean. Um, So, okay. So the prison guard in the beginning, the prison guard was not listening. The prison guard was obviously an asshole. He got killed. 
Lucas had the chance to make things right in solitary with Dean. Um, he did not. He got killed. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then we get the scene with Tiny, and I thought it kind of like underwrote like what they had building been building up this monster to do. It did not make sense to me. Yeah. So the ghost is killing people whether or not they have the capacity to reform or like anything like that. They are criminals, and that's the only thing that matters to the ghost like yeah. anyone yeah. who commits a crime is subhuman so that's why like there's no difference between the interaction you, you know despite the difference yeah. in the interactions between these two inmates there's no difference in their ultimate end does that like make more sense i understand it, it how does. it could kind of seem like they were saying like oh you have to figure out how to like change as a person or whatever or else the ghost is gonna get you but like i don't think that's what they were going for so yeah. much this is also just you know to keep us a pace of the plot beats sam has burned the weird old mattress with the blood on it and the ghost still comes and kills tiny and we know that it's a nurse a woman now and not the murderer so now they're trying to figure out okay well how do we get rid of this ghost because they thought that they were going to be able to burn the stuff and then get out so sam has already like jump-started their escape plan and all this stuff and the clock is ticking to like get rid of this ghost the one that it actually is and this leads into the conversation that I think is my favorite between Sam and Dean with regards to the humanity of the inmates Dean is like well I'm not just gonna let these I'm not gonna let them die or whatever and he's like I heard in the yard blah 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 and Sam is like, doesn't it bother you how easily you fit in here? And he's like, no, not really. Yeah. Like, and it shouldn't. They're honestly just people. Yeah. Like, yeah, they've broken the law. They probably all have PTSD from being in prison and whatever interactions with police they've had before being incarcerated. But, you know, besides that. It really just is so crazy, too, because um, Sam also doesn't realize the hypocrisy of what he's saying um, because Dean also understands like what they do by our legal system is criminal. They have to break the laws for the greater good. And I'm sure there are people in here who broke the laws to do things like feed their families, protect yeah. their families from predators. Like who knows like why they're in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're like not I said, different. It's mostly like petty theft and small, stupid drug charges. Yep. Also, it just shows how much Dean likes being around people. And it's so sad that he's so isolated from everyone all the time. Yeah, it is. Like, I worry about that little guy. Like, he's so clearly extroverted and, like, thrives in groups. And to me, this also shows, like, how Sam's lived a very different life than Dean because Dean protected him. So I think that's a big part of why Sam can't see himself like this. Um, he was never in the same hard place that Dean was because Dean specifically protected him from a lot of it. So I think even though we haven't seen many childhood scenes yet, this is very much hinting at how much, what an extent Dean went to hide some things because Sam can't even see himself as being similar to the people who are incarcerated. 
Potentially, yeah. I don't want to argue about it, but I, I have some I have some weirdness about talking about their childhood. And I don't want to spoil Jordan on anything. So let's let's just keep on trucking. I really like the direct following scene where they are again with Randall trying to get information and Dean has yeah. to use his cigarettes to do so and he's so <laughs> unhappy. Yeah. He's like, I earned those. <laughs> oh honey. I thought that was really cute. He's such a sweetie pie. This to me is kind of where the the episode like I and I talked about this earlier with the public defender. Everything involving the public defender just really I'm not a big fan of. Once they get the name of the nurse from Randall. In my mind, there's no reason why they should not just leave the prison. They can go to the library and research her. You know what I mean? Like they can find out about her remains and everything from a different location. I don't know. It, it just like really drives me insane, this stupid fight they have about like when they're leaving or whatever, because it, se- it seems like such a no brainer that they would just research this out like later now that they know who she is. I'm also like, does Deacon not leave the prison ever? Like the smart thing to do would be to have like a meetup time with Deacon that they can discuss things and like have Deacon go and research at the library and bring back the information. So if they need to leave the premises, they can. Right. Like the public defender, like, I don't think, I liked her. She was a good actress. I don't know what she added to this episode. This is what I think they were going for. I think what they were trying to say is that the law is not just, but even people who work within the law can figure out ways to further justice through illegal means. And even people within the justice system can recognize the unjustness of the system. So I think that's all that was. It was like, this is a legal professional. She's looking at this with like these weird inconsistencies and she's talking to these people and they really don't seem like they're actually criminals or they've actually done anything wrong. And because of that, she lets them go. You know, I I think that gets into a weird place with like, well, how can you really tell if someone is like a quote unquote criminal or not? But that's like the other, that's the other side of it. The whole like people who are criminals are just people thing. This specifically bothers me because, so legally, your lawyer does not have to tell the police anything that you have done unless it is an act you have not committed yet. But she doesn't know enough to know that they're going to go and dig up the grave. However, when she lies to them, that implicates her because now she's lying to federal officers. Yes, and they absolutely would find out about that. That's the thing that floors me. And that would have had to have been premeditated as well. She because she didn't like just come up with some random other graveyard on the fly. Like, I don't know the names of the graveyards around me. I couldn't list more than one. I Allie probably <laughs> could, but she's a she's a fucking freak, okay? They go yeah. every other right. Sunday to visit graveyards. So y'all are so. missing out. Go to your local I'm just playing. I'm just playing with you. Yeah, so so you know, she'd be in fucking deep shit after that. I totally agree, Allie. I I think, like, the spirit of the episode and what it's trying to do with that is so good, but in terms of a plot that makes any kind of fucking sense, uh... (laughs) Yeah. I, I just, like, when he's talking to her through the glass, 
trying to convince her to do this research or whatever. He's like, you know, take a look at people. Like, do I really look like someone who did this? I'm like, you look like a little baby face angel. Of course you don't. Like, look at you. Have you seen you? Yep. <laughs> that one's like offensive because like who, like you, people don't look like they commit crimes. Like you never know. So that also puts a weird layer of like, well, who looks guilty then? Right. Yeah. And I think that that line could have been so bad so bad if they had tried to do anything with race in this episode it's one of those moments where i'm like whoa they dodged a bullet there yeah i'm really glad they did not attempt that at all after route 666 i'm like oof (laughs) right yeah like let's not let's just mm, keep the commentary to yourself (laughs) so around this time is when you find out deacon he's their way out This whole scene was kind of weird to me. It felt very forced. Like they, that they had this kind of relationship with like this guy from their past. I kind of wish this was a real opportunity. We could have taken away that strange scene with the public defender and maybe could have expanded this scene a little bit to get some kind of more insight into the boy's childhood. I personally really, really enjoyed that. I'm like, who was Deacon to them? Why was their friend so close with this random prison guard? I don't know. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I would have loved to have seen more scenes with or about Deacon as opposed to the public defender. I think it just would have made more sense. And I agree with you that like, like that's his day job, obviously. Like, you know, he could have gone and done research at the end of the night. Or like, you know, if it turned out that her remains were still there, they could have told Deacon where to find her remains in the prison and deal with that himself because he has access to go anywhere or almost anywhere. So it just seems silly. But yes, I agree. I think the insight into some of their inherited behavior from John and everything was just a much more interesting angle. And also this scene where Deacon pulls them from the yard because they get into a fake fight. But I, I actually find the int- like the introduction into this scene really uh, sinister because they go into it and there's two guards, right? And Deacon is like, oh, like, get out of here. I want to handle this myself. But like hit the other dialogue surrounding it, there's a really strong implication that he's just going to beat the shit out of them. Yeah. And that, you know, he wants one fewer person there so that there isn't a witness to his additional violence. And the other guy doesn't even question it. Like, he doesn't even bat an eye. He's like, yeah, sure, let me go. I don't know. Yeah, Deacon just kind of gave me, like, the creeps. And then from him, too, like, I don't know, the whiplash of him being, like, this really person who likes lording power and having dominion over other people, which other people do not question, to, like, literally hugging Dean and Sam. And we're seeing him as this, like, kind of paternal figure in their life. Like, this guy would have been, like, the way they're acting, like an uncle of some sort. I was not a fan, personally, of the Deacon scene. Right. Like you said, it could have been less weird if we had more of him but we don't and I I'm not sure how I feel about considering his uh violent demeanor and the way no one questions his impulses towards extreme violence no one as in the other inmates and his co-workers his fellow prison guards you know talking about whiplash when he's like get this ghost out of my jail or whatever like all like protective I'm like, well, hold on a minute. (laughs) Like, 
you're not some kind of like grandfatherly like custodian of the inmates here yeah (laughs) we have only known this character as being a perpetrator of violence yeah absolutely so uh what's that about (laughs) i don't know it's so weird because it did such a good job of humanizing the inmates, but then did such a bad job of humanizing Deacon. I'm like, was this done really well or really poorly? I'm guessing poorly, but... <laughs> it can be both, I, I think. And I do think. I feel very ambivalently about this episode. I will say, I think the suspense with like the police showing up to the graveyard and then cutting to what Sam and Dean are doing back and forth before you know that the police have gone to the wrong place. That's fun. I think that's very fun. That's one of the action scenes that I actually really liked in this episode. Because most of them were just sort of, eh. Can we talk about the big takeaway from this episode for a second? Yes. Because we haven't really talked about the ghost herself very much. The ghost was a former nurse who was killing inmates and then was killed by inmates in a riot. And they contrast her with other agents of the law and law enforcement. So they put her up against like the guards, like how is she different or similar from the guards? How is she different or similar to Henriksen or um, the public defender or, you know, any of those people? And I think showing all of those different elements, all of those individual actors with the power of an oppressor and an oppressive system really emphasizes that the main takeaway of this episode is just the carceral systems themselves are inherently unjust. Like every element of it is inherently unjust from top to bottom and tended to be dehumanizing at every level. Yeah, no, I agree. That was my takeaway as well is I feel like this is something like I feel like they've explored this theme before in a previous episode. I wish I could remember which one, but it's like just by existing in a society that uses these bad systems, you are inherently hurt in some way by this and not just being the prisoner who we were talking about them victimizing, but being a part of this system at all. Right. Which, yeah, which we kind of see through. And it's kind of funny that when we're finding out about the ghost, the ghost is actually targeting Deacon, paralleling to that message. I thought that was well done. Yeah, I agree. It also seems to say that there's no one person who can decide who is deserving of punishment either. Which that is a problem that someone much smarter than me will have to figure out. So sadly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm very anti-incarceration. At least the system that we have in the United States. It does not work no. and it costs so much money to not work. And the only reason, the only fucking reason we still have it in place is because um, that's, that's our modern slavery. Like it's too profitable for the government to disassemble it and it's absolutely disgusting like it actually kind of it turns my stomach to think about so I really appreciate this episode (laughs) I love to see like an episode like this in a show that in the early seasons the early couple of seasons someone like me like extremely gay leftist whatever you know, I'm maybe not the target audience. And this is still in here. 
I like the awareness of the state of things in our society. At this point in the show, there isn't really any kind of cop worship or anything yeah. like that, for example. And I, part of that has to do with the fact that our main characters are homeless. They are below the poverty line. Yeah. The cops are not on their side. So, of course, the carceral system is not on their side either. And I will just ramble Absolutely. about the justice system being a piece of shit until someone cuts me off. So I'm going to cut myself off. <laughs> <laughs> we want to do fanfic? I absolutely want to do fanfic are you guys ready i'm ready ready? yes i thought about this one for a minute i picked a recent fic by cassiel's lost wings who's pretty well-known author this is pretty popular it only came out at the beginning of the year and it has like around 22k hits it's called break on through the summary is prison psychologist cassiel novak was brought to the bay for one reason and one reason only to crack and dismantle the ruling mob cabal that's making life hell behind bars for both inmates and staff alike. Prison politics, handshake deals, blackmail, manipulation are only the beginning, although everything seems to circle back to one man, Dean Winchester. In the midst of doing his job, Castiel finds himself sucked into a world he wasn't prepared for and falling hard for a prisoner at the very center of all the chaos. Is Dean a pawn or a player or something else altogether? And what will Castiel risk giving up to find out? At the end of the day, Castiel's not the one behind bars, but he can't bring himself to leave, at least not without Dean by his side, whatever it takes to keep him there. This is rated E. It does have a general archive warning for rape. This fic is pretty intense. I have read a good chunk of it and can attest to that personally. A lot of very graphic everything, just, just a blanket warning. The main pairing is Castiel and Dean. Other characters include a whole bunch of people that Jordan is not going to (laughs) recognize. So let's just go for it. We got Castiel, we got Dean, we got Sam, we got Crowley, we got Naomi, we got Benny, we got Garth, we got Victor Henriksen, we got Alistair, Pamela, Cole Trenton, Meg Masters, Alfie, Donna Haskum, Tessa, and motherfucking Kane. (laughs) Got everybody up in this thing. (laughs) There, you know, there's just a lot of side characters. It's very plotty. Additional tags include AU prison, prisoner dean, sex worker dean, psychologist cast, protective dean, dubious consent. And this fic, this author was very clear in multiple places that the dubious consent and the rape is not between Cass and Dean. There's also Mob Boss Crowley, Slow Burn, Murder Mystery, Eventual Romance, Eventual Happy Ending, Recovery, Self-Acceptance, Smart Dean, Therapist Cast, Beach House, Walks on the Beach, Switching, Gay Sex, by Dean, Canon Typical Violence. I ended up not truncating that at all. What do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot going on in this one. The whole point of it is to point out that the carceral system, system is just bullshit. That's that's what's going on in this fic. So it's not just like, oh, they're in prison, whatever, because there definitely are those. I don't tend to prefer AUs, but this one is really interesting. I like the power differentials that are going on, both within like groups of inmates and between people who work at the prison and who are imprisoned. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I definitely love that. We've talked about it before in Route 666, but I do love that I don't know. It's just when people think, like the general public, people who don't read fan fiction, like me, 
think of a fanfic story written about a series, like you don't think about using it to get across a political opinion or try and educate people. So I love that there are people out there doing that and interjecting that into mediums that certain people are more comfortable digesting. So I like it. Are we ready to rate the episode? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to rate this a four out of five. First and foremost, I love that they had a prison episode that was humanizing the inmates. I think that's something we don't get a whole lot, especially 2007. I love that they're, and if I am recalling correctly, no like prison rape jokes. Those are so overdone. And in this show, they have in the past made those. Yeah. But there was none of that here. I like that there was a clear, concise message he wanted to get get across, and I felt like he did that well. Um, I also just really liked Dean in this episode a lot. He was really charming, really likable. The point I'm knocking off is I was kind of unsure about certain plot points, like the public defender or Deacon as a character. So I'm giving 0.5 off from that. And I'm also giving 0.5 off because while I really love this episode, after watching 15 seasons, is this going to be an episode that really sticks out in my mind? Probably not, but I did enjoy it. So four out of five, not so bad tasting prison chicken. (laughs) What about you, Allie? This was overall pretty solid. I agree that it's not the most memorable episode. And also, like, while we get a lot of good Dean moments, it doesn't move the narrative forward. We're kind of almost where we were, just reminded that he's coming after them. So, for that reason, I'm also going to give it four out of five cigarettes. What about you, Jasper? I'm actually going to rate this one a little lower, which probably is surprising. I really enjoy this episode is the thing. Like, I really enjoy it. But I think, like, as far as, like, honestly, is this that good of an episode? Not really. Like, the plot is just so inconsistent and bizarre, especially towards the end. And, like, none of the characters outside of the brothers and the inmates feel very, like, normal in any capacity, which really breaks my immersion. I'm going to give this one a 3.85. How about that? 3.85 top bunks out of five. Nice. What do you think will happen next, Jordan? Oof, I was trying to think of this during the episode too, because I'm like, this show really doesn't give me anything to go off of. Yeah, there's only three left now. I mean, everything has to go to hell, I'm assuming at this point. We're almost there. We got, what, one more filler? I shouldn't call it filler. I may be surprised. We have one more episode and then the two-part finale. I'm thinking we're going to reconnect with the Roadhouse. We're going to get a call that something is going on. They're going to go to help Ellen. And then Joe's going to make a surprise appearance. I think we're not going to hear more of Hendrickson next episode, but I think, I think we're going to get whispers of the, fu- the special children. I think that's coming back next episode. So that's my prediction. Awesome. I hope you get everything you desire and more. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure I won't. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar, and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Joliet, Illinois. Bye. Bye. Bye.